Hello and welcome to Talking Aussie Books, a new weekly podcast shining a spotlight on Australian fiction. My name is Claudine Tonellis. As a writer and avid reader, I love chatting about books. And in this podcast, I'll chat to authors, publishers and readers, giving you, dear listener, insight into what's hot on the Australian fiction scene. So if you're looking for your next book recommendation or just want to know more about Aussie fiction writers, this podcast is for you. Grab yourself a cuppa, sit back and enjoy. I'm a diehard fan of romantic comedy, stories that take you out of your world for a short time and fill you with hope that love will ultimately triumph despite the seemingly insurmountable bumps in the road along the way. Beth O'Leary's The Flat Share was one unforgettable rom-com I've read in recent years and another is by a fabulous Australian many of you might have heard of as the international best-selling author of The Hating Game, Sally Thorne. Sally lives in Canberra and The Hating Game was her debut novel. It sold in over 25 countries and is now being made into a major motion picture set to be released this year. Her second novel, 99% Mind, debuted on the USA Today bestseller list and was featured by Goodreads as one of the top 28 hit books for the first half of 2019. Now Sally is back with her third novel, Second First Impressions. It's the first of Sally's books that I have read, but by no means will it be the last. This book was deliciously charming, funny, and oh so sexy. I absolutely loved it. And so it gives me such a thrill to welcome Sally to the podcast today. Hi, Sally. Hi, Claudine. Thank you so much. What a lovely introduction. Wow, what a book this was. I wanted to say congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. I'm really glad you enjoyed it. It may be a little embarrassing to admit also that I I only discovered Beth O'Leary's books last year, The Flat Share and The Switch. And so to see her enthusiastic endorsement of your book was very exciting for me, but I can only imagine how thrilling it was for you. Oh yeah, it's always lovely when a fellow author gives you an endorsement um, and I really appreciated it from Beth. She's had a really great run with some great books so yeah. Sally it's only been out for a couple of weeks now here in Australia and it's just been released in Canada and the US but do you have a sense of how it's being received and what people are saying about it? I don't really read reviews or keep my finger on that kind of pulse because I'm quite sensitive and so if I read bad review it really sticks with me but a lot of people who are readers of mine who've been fans for years have messaged me to say that they really loved it and it made them feel warm and snuggly and that's all I need that makes all the difference my mom loved it my close friends loved it so that's all the good feedback I need (laughs) Sally as I mentioned in my intro this was such a charming funny love story that I simply couldn't get enough of I was really sorry when I had to close the covers on this book But for those who haven't read it yet, can you tell me a little bit more about the story? Sure. Well, the story is inspired by something from my real life. I used to work in a really dreary office with a friend and on those really hard days, we'd send each other little emails backwards and forwards saying that when we were very old and when we were very rich, we were going to live together as roommates in a fancy retirement home and we were going to have a young man who was going to be our personal assistant. And no matter what we asked him to do, he would have to do it. If we wanted pizza, if we wanted something from Chanel, he would go and he would hop to it. And that's really what this book is about. The main character is named Ruthie. She works in the front office of Providence, which is a luxury retirement villa, housing some very rich people. And just as she's thinking about dipping her toe back into the dating scene and getting out of her shell a little bit, because she's been feeling a little bit old lately, she meets a young guy on a motorbike who mistakes her for a little old lady. And it's a really insulting first impression. 
and she finds out he's the son of the owner of Providence. He's here, he needs a job and she's, she's a good person, but she's not above a little bit of payback. So she knows just the job for Teddy, her two most eccentric residents, the Parloni sisters, they hire young men as their assistant. And it is such a hard job that no one has lasted longer than a week. So Ruthie has this surefire way to watch him squirm and get him out of her hair quick smart. But to everyone's surprise, Teddy's no quitter. Oh, just an adorable story. It wasn't set in a retirement village in the US, but it struck me as the kind of story that would would have worked just as easily here in Australia. Why did you decide to set it in the US? Uh, It's actually not set anywhere. It has US spelling and US isms I guess you would say and the reason for that I'm asked that a lot it's because my book deal is with HarperCollins New York and they have a style guide that they prefer their books to be written in my main market is the U.S. um, and so a lot of terms that we use in Australia Americans often have never heard of it in the hating game I use the term hire car and for Australians we know that to be a rental car but I still get emails from people saying, what is a hire car? So even the smallest slip up can really befuddle a lot of people. So this book is not set in the US. It's not set in Australia. I actually don't set my books anywhere because the reader can then imagine it wherever they want. And I think that's also, you mentioned earlier that The Hating Game has been published in 26 countries now. And I think that the the ambiguity of it has really helped that. Publishers are much more willing to pick it up and let their local market imagine it wherever they would like. And yes, I guess I simply made that assumption that it was, you know, Providence as in Providence in Rhode Island in the US. But now that I think about it, you're quite right. It isn't actually mm. by, that, yeah. uh, by that suggestion. Well, The Hating Game, when the the editor in the UK who picked it up, she she read that and she said to me how clever it was that I'd said it in London. And I said, not said anywhere (laughs) so I think whilst it is irritating I'm sure to some readers who really love getting into a setting and a location for me it was originally something I was going to plan to work out later when I got a publisher and once they read it they said they liked it how it was so yeah it's working out for me so far I'm glad to hear that I wasn't the only one to make that Mm -mm. No, no. (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic. Okay. Well, you obviously have many loyal fans outside of Australia and with international travel restrictions still in place, it must be hard to stay connected with your international fans. So I wanted to ask you, are you doing much online promo for this book or planning to tour locally? Yes, I've been uh, doing everything that they've thrown my way that's online. So I've been doing some uh, Zoom events. I just did one with The Ripped Bodice, which is a very famous bricks and mortar romance bookstore in LA. So I just did an event with them last week and I have a couple more US bookstore Zooms set up. It's been a really interesting and difficult time to release a book and in a way feels quite anticlimactic. It feels like a few hundred tags on the internet and lots of messages and then that's it. <laughs> um, but that's also okay because most writers don't get into this for the <laughs> extrovert activities of meeting people going outside of your room. <laughs> it's been interesting. Now, Ruthie was a gorgeous character, obviously scarred from events that occurred in her teenage years, determined to hide away from the world in the safe haven of the retirement village that she works at. So impervious to her many wonderful character traits. 
So I wanted to ask you, where did you get your inspiration for Ruthie? I guess I just really wanted to start off with a character who gives a lot. And she really does give a lot of herself. In the first chapter, her temp assistant, who's working in the office for the next couple of months, says, how have you worked here for 16 years? And Ruthie replies, it's been six years, not 16. How old do you think I am? So she's someone who's like, she's really just gone straight from school into a job and has applied herself 1000% to this job. She even lives on site and she barely goes anywhere. And so I think that I wanted to witness someone who gives a lot, start to realize that they can take something for themselves. And it's for people that maybe feel like they've been left behind in some way or are comparing themselves to other people their age and think, oh, I'm, I'm not on track. But if anything from this book, you know, this book's a lot about trying to work out how old you feel. She feels very old, but she also feels very young and inexperienced. And yeah, I felt like that was just an interesting character that I wanted to explore. And then as her counterpart, create a young man who is on the surface, very selfish, but in a really sweet way, in a way he probably doesn't even realize that he takes liberties with people. He's run out of couches to sleep on, put it that way. Um, and he has to learn how to give and that's a big theme in the book as well so speaking of your other protagonist I have to confess to having fallen slightly in love with Teddy lordy (laughs) he was scrumptious how is it possible to create such an adorable kind-hearted heartbreaker character like Teddy Prescott (laughs) Teddy was very hard to write and when I realized how hard he was to write I thought oh no what have I done here you'd think it was really easy to write a very friendly, confident, gorgeous young man who just, he's just like, he's like a black cat that just like slithers in through every door just before it closes. And then you turn around and he's curled up on your couch. And then you look around again and he's eating something. And he's he's very honestly, genuinely very thankful for everything you do for him. But you can't help but wonder how many other doors is he slithering into? And what happens to me when he leaves? So to write a really friendly and genuine character who is kind to everyone is really hard because Ruthie is constantly wondering how could I possibly be the special one? He's like this with everyone. Uh, So he was hard to write. And I think that friendly, nice people are really underrated in fiction. So I enjoyed writing him. Yeah, he was a fascinating character in many ways. He had his own you know inner demons to battle and interestingly he was a tattoo artist and has much of his body covered in various designs it made him appear tougher than I think he was Uh, Mm. do you think he used tattoos not only as a way of expressing his creativity because obviously a very talented artist but also as a way of dealing with difficult emotions I think so definitely I don't have a tattoo so I can't presume to know why people have tattoos but I think for maybe some people, it's a sort of a protective wrapping that they put around themselves to try to maybe keep the world away a little bit. And Teddy has a lot of really meaningless, seemingly meaningless tattoos all over his body. He's got knives and forks and diamond rings, and but he has hidden in throughout them some that really mean a lot to him. So I guess that's Teddy in a nutshell, isn't it? He looks looks like he's silly and frivolous and a bit meaningless on the outside but he carries some things that mean a lot to him. One of the more interesting subplots in this book is Ruthie's passion for protecting the endangered golden bonnet tortoise. Well 
a lot of things in books are inspired by things in the author's real life and it's something that occasionally I do. I live in Canberra and Canberra is surrounded by bushland. I've got a horse and when I drive to go and check my horse every day, there's a beautiful long stretch of country road and after it rains, all the tortoise, uh, tortoises, they wake up and they feel invigorated and they want to cross the road and it really stresses me out. Um, so I've got a pair of gloves in the boot of my car and I'll go and <laughs> move them off the road. So I guess that was just you know, you, you pick little things like that, that just maybe give the character something of yourself and something unusual and memorable. And it's also very symbolic of the dream that she used to have for herself. When she was a kid, she wanted to be a vet. So it's just allowing the reader to see that she's somehow still kept that dream alive all those years later. There were many wonderful characters in this novel that it made me wonder if you'd actually spent time in a retirement village as part of your research. No, I didn't because of COVID, I guess. And all my grandparents have sadly passed, but, you know, you still put little bits of your grandparents, I think, in this kind of a story. And Ruthie is named for my grandma, Ruth, and I always laugh imagining what she would be like living at Providence. <laughs> I really liked writing elderly characters because, you know, if you've spoken to elderly ladies, sometimes they've just lost their filter and good on them. <laughs> so they were really lively and that's where a lot of the humour in the book comes from. Yeah, so hopefully people love them too. So as I mentioned earlier, The Hating Game is being made into a movie. I wondered if you could tell me a little bit about that and whether you had any involvement in the project. The Hating Game was released in 2016 and the option was bought fairly quickly by BCDF Productions and they held on to it until the time was right. I didn't imagine that the right time would be during a global pandemic. Um, when I heard that was happening, I thought, ah, there goes that project. We'd gotten Lucy Hale as the star and I thought, oh, well, that's that. But luckily for me, I'd written a book which is largely set in only a couple of rooms in an office building and they managed to find a way to film it in a COVID-safe way. So the filming started in November of 2020. I would have gone over and visited the set in person if I could have. It was really, really heartbreaking to not be able to. Like it was sort of like one of those, you know, once in a lifetime things. But they were still really kind and took me on like a set tour. Like I was like a head on a laptop being carried around. <laughs> and I got to meet Lucy Hale and Austin Stowell, who are the two stars. They were really lovely and really gracious. And yeah, I got to see all these extras and like racks of wardrobe and the elevator that they'd built. It was just really humbling, really exciting. And I'd also gotten to have input or have a read of the scripts before they started shooting and make little inputs here and there. And I've seen the rough cut and it's amazing. So you mentioned earlier it's due for release this year. We don't actually know that yet because we don't have a distributor yet. It's not actually finished with all the music and everything done. So once that once it's all done, then they will find a distributor and then we'll have some more news on how you're going to see it, whether it's going to be streaming or in the cinema. Yeah, I've never looked forward to a movie more in my entire life. <laughs> I can only imagine how proud you're feeling about that. I am. It's one of those achievements you never think you would ever have um, because I didn't even write the heading game to publish it I wrote it as a gift for a friend for her birthday so everything that's happened since that point has just been the book wanting to do it on its own 
and it will be a really unusual rom-com movie and that's perfect because it's a pretty unusual book. Now, I think you mentioned earlier that The Hating Game was released in 2016. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So what is your first foray into novel writing or have there been others? I've written a lot of fan fiction before then, back in sort of 20, 2009, sort of around the Twilight fan fiction craze. A lot of published authors that I'm friends with today started out writing that fan fiction. So I wrote a good 170,000 words of it (laughs) and it's a great way to learn how to write romance well in my opinion a lot of people who tell me what they like about my writing style I think is actually a very fan fiction-y style where you let the reader just sit in those really delicious luscious moments just a beat longer and you know you have the characters together all the time that's what you learn when you write fan fiction that's what people want and I'd sort of half started you know, heaps of things. I've got, you know, probably five drafts that all stalled at chapter six, you know, it's pretty easy to set something up, but to to carry it through that middle section of the book, you you kind of need to have something more to go on. So No, The Hating Game was the first original thing that I wrote all the way through to the end. And I'm proud that I did it. I, wrote, I actually wrote it back in 2013. So it's interesting that I'm still chatting about it and it's still got a life of its own so I'm really lucky. You mentioned that you started out writing fan fiction. Did you always intend to write romantic comedy? No I just know that I would always write romance. Everything I've ever started to write has been romance. I read a lot of romance when I was very young. Australians know them as Mills and Boone and um, US listeners will know them as Harlequin but my grandmothers and my mum read a lot of that and they were always on hand around the house. And they're always a masterclass in how to tell a story very efficiently and very quickly. You know, you have 50 or 60,000 words for a Mills and Boone book to get that character from, you know, single and unhappy to they're happily ever after. And I like romance, as you said in your intro, because you get a guarantee, which you don't get in other types of fiction, where you know that you're going to get that payoff and that happily ever after. So that's all I'm interested in writing. Sally, there are many writers who listen to this podcast. And so I wondered if you had any tips you could offer to those looking to write that novel they've been meaning to write one day or to get their novel published. I have a lot of people say to me, you know, I want to write a book. And I always say, what's stopping you? Why haven't you started this book that you've been dreaming about? Mm. And people have a lot of reasons. And I think you have to listen to your own excuses and decide if you're going to make a change in some way and make a, some sort of a sacrifice to try to make this happen for yourself. Don't make it something that's too hard. You know, don't say to yourself, right, I am going to write 5,000 words every night after dinner and I'm going to get an agent and become a New York Times bestseller. Like that's too much pressure. Why don't you just say to yourself, I'm going to tell everyone that I'm not free to do anything on Sunday afternoons and you just sit down at your computer and make that your time and just go, go to it with no pressure and no expectations on yourself. And you can absolutely write a book on Sunday afternoons. I mean, I did it. And I would say, don't try to chase trends. Don't try to think to yourself, oh, rom-coms are so hot right now. When I wrote The Hating Game, rom-coms were not hot. And when they showed me the illustrated cover of the book, I thought, oh, this is really different. This does not look like 
what books look like at the moment. But now b- the books on the shelves have illustrated covers and are rom-coms. So, you know, like you just have to write the best book that you can write and be authentic to your own voice. Don't try to, if you, if you try to be funny or if you try to sound like another author, it's guaranteed going to ring hollow. I think readers feel authenticity more than they feel anything. And people can hear my voice when they're reading my books because I just let myself be me in my writing. So I think those were, that would be my tips just to give yourself permission to go for this dream. You don't have to have any technical knowledge. You know, I haven't been to university for creative writing or anything like that. You know, if you have a genuine love for the genre that you're writing in and you're authentic and you make yourself some time, I think you can do it. Kelly, if listeners wanted to connect with you, how could they do that? Probably just follow me on Instagram is probably where I'm most likely to put updates on things. I'm Sally Thorne author on Instagram. I don't really use Twitter anymore. It started to ruin my life and I decided to put all of my funny observations in books rather than on Twitter for free. (laughs) Um, But I think I'm Sally two underscores thorn on there but yeah I don't really use it anymore and I also have a Facebook readers group called Sally Thorne's Flamethrowers which you can join and get a lot of stuff first I did a little live video in there just yesterday and had a chat with everyone so yeah hope to connect with you Sally I thoroughly enjoyed second first impressions and I know you're going to find many more fans through Ruthie and Teddy's story Wishing you the best of luck with this and the release of the Hating Game movie. Thank you for joining me on Talking Aussie Books. Thank you so much, Claudine. It was lovely to join you. Well, that's a wrap, folks. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or drop me a line via my Instagram at Claudine Tinellis or on my webpage, claudinetinellis.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, happy reading.